Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you today. For God so loved the world that he gave light in his son. There is nothing more important than our relationship with Jesus. Did you know that you have two and a half weeks until Christmas? (laughs) How many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? (laughs) It's okay. Jesus is the most important thing, not your gifts. You're standing before the Lord. Uh, one of my daughters called me this week and said, Okay, Dad, usually you call us three days before Christmas and say, Hey, what are we going to get, Mom? How about we start earlier this year? I have at least started my Christmas shopping. Um, I just have to say I am just spectacularly thankful for this church family. I can't believe how kind God's been to Michelle and I and to our kids that he's brought us here, that we get to be a part of this, this church. There's so much love, so much encouragement and also really good opportunities to grow. And so we were just so thankful to be here. Uh, yesterday was a great day with the, the women's lunch. Just I'm just so excited about the way the Lord is working at this church. For Advent, last week was hope. And you'll remember one of the verses that we looked at was in Ephesians chapter 2, which basically just talks about the fact that without Jesus, we have no hope. Today's theme is love. And as we consider this whole idea of love, 1 John 4, 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So God showed us his love. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent Jesus into this world so that we could have life. God loves us. And and the reality is for those of us who are believers... Our purpose is to reflect Jesus in this season. In a season with all the gifts, all the busyness, uh, has anybody been driving around and been honked at yet? The other day, I I did put a a license plate, like way back, Rick gave me a license plate that has foothills on it. So I put that on my car last week. I was driving around, somebody honked at me, and I thought, oh no. (laughs) I'm not sure what I did, but I made somebody mad, and they're going to see the name of our church. And I'm like, oh no, I got to be more careful with my driving. (laughs) Our purpose is to reflect Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.15. Now, think about this. This is your calling over this Christmas season. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So have you thought about God's calling in your life is to be the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved? Now think about what that means in the church. Think about what that means for fellow believers. We love each other. We're encouraging each other. We're pointing each other in the right direction. We're an encouragement. We're supposed to reflect Christ. When people meet you, they, they should, should sense what Jesus is like by how you are with them. So we're an aroma of Christ. And then it says, also, among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life, and who is sufficient for these things? So we represent Christ, and we are an influence of Christ among believers, but also in the unbelieving world. And one of the things that I love about that is that it's my job and it's your job to reflect Christ. And people are going to have different responses. That's one of the things that we'll see in this passage that we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. But one of the things that you'll see is that every person 
is called to make a personal response to Jesus. Some people receive Christ. Other people don't receive Christ. One of the things I love about life is that it's not my job to force or pressure anybody to do anything. It's my job to accurately reflect Christ and then allow him to work and around allow people to make a decision. Now, the gospel of John that we'll be looking at, John actually wrote his whole gospel so that people would believe. Look at this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus brings eternal life. And John 10 tells us that eternal life is now. Eternal life is not just in the future. Eternal life is right now. It begins right now when we come into a relationship with Christ. And so this morning, as we look at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 13, we're going to see three important things. And the first thing is that the light is God himself. Jesus is the light and Jesus is God. And we're going to look at just one of the most amazing passages about the deity of Jesus. And we actually did that last week in Hebrews 1, right? Talking about how Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. It's amazing to me as we read through, as we read through Hebrews chapter 1 last week, and we're going to read through John chapter 1, the first part of it this week, how similar those passages are. So Jesus is God and he is light himself and that the light is available to everybody. God's made his light available to every single person. And then the third thing that we're going to see is that everybody does respond. Everybody responds. And we know that there are two, two responses that are possible. You can receive Christ. You cannot receive Christ. But the thing is that there's no middle ground. There's no option for not making a decision. Everybody responds. So let me tell you a little bit about John, and then we're going to jump into it. First of all, we have four Gospels, right? There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and those are known as the synoptic Gospels, and so they all kind of cover the same types of things. It's three different views of the same events. And then the fourth gospel, John, is unique. And if you were to lay out all the gospels and you were to just kind of make marks of the events that they cover, the first three gospels, they all kind of line up. They're talking about a lot of things, but there's these gaps in those, in those gospels. But if you lay out the book of John, John writes and he fills in all these little gaps. So John is writing much later than the first three gospels. And he has in mind the things that have been discussed and he kind of fills in some gaps. And so that's just a really awesome thing. So it was written to supplement. It was written about 30 years later. And it was written by this really old man. And he was an old man. He was the disciple of love. And one of the things that we know when you look at the Gospel of John, he never refers to himself by name. He refers to himself as the t- disciple whom Jesus loved. The thing that gave him purpose, the thing that he was proud of, um, not in an arrogant way, but the thing that he was so thankful for was that Jesus loved him. And because Jesus loved him, he loved other people. He reflected that. And that's one of the things that we see, that, that John as a young man was kind of a hothead. 
But when he wrote the Gospel of John, man, he was this gentle, loving, caring person. The Gospel of John uses the word love more than any other book in the entire Bible. Like love, the, the noun and the verb, beloved, he uses those words more than any other book. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And percentage-wise, those books are the top three books in the Bible for using the, the word love. So love is powerful. John loves people, and he is communicating about Jesus. So let's consider, if you have your Bibles or your phones, turn in them to John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And we're going to look at a powerful passage in Scripture. And just before we do that, I, I want to just look at John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that was where we ended last week, that the light of life is salvation, but it's also wisdom for living. Our spiritual transformation, our spiritual salvation impacts the choices and the decisions that we make. It impacts how we live. It impacts what motivates us to live. We get up every day with a desire to please God, and we end up being blessed in how we live. And so Jesus is the light. Now, every religion claims Jesus. How many of you knew that? Almost every religion Maybe, I, maybe you could think of one that doesn't, but almost every religion claims Jesus. In fact, in, the, in Islam, did you know that Jesus' name is mentioned more often than uh, Muhammad's name in the Quran? But in every single religion, Jesus is redefined. He's, he's relabeled. He's renamed. He's, he's changed. His nature and character is different than what is described in Scripture. And so as we look at this, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And this is just a powerful passage talking about who Jesus is. Look at this, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, Last week, we looked at the fact that in the beginning, God spoke through the prophets, but in the last days, he spoke through Jesus. And then here in this passage, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word? That's Jesus. So we get that in John 1:17. It, it specifically tells us that, but we know that. In the beginning was the word. That's God's communication to us. It's his self-disclosure. It's his message of salvation and of love is in the person of Jesus. Now, what does John 1 1 remind you of? In Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here you have the gospel, and John, instead of starting with the birth of Jesus, goes all the way back and starts in Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when you think about this, Jesus is eternal. So that's one of the things that we see. Jesus was eternal. It doesn't say that Jesus had a beginning. It says in the beginning was the word. Jesus has always been there. This is the same statement that is made in the, in the opening words of the Bible. So Jesus is eternal. Now, there are many who have alternate interpretations of this verse. How many of you have heard that there's a translation out there that interprets this as in the beginning was the word 
and the word was with God, and the word was a God. So Jehovah Witnesses, they add the word a there, and they do that because they say that, that God doesn't have a definite article. It doesn't have the, and so because it doesn't have that, you can add the word a. And it's kind of interesting as you look at this passage, it is such a powerful statement of the deity of Christ. And it's phrased perfectly to communicate the Trinity. Did you know that if, when you read this verse, if in Greek it had a definite article, that would actually support a false teaching about Jesus. There's another religious view, which is the view of modalism, which is that there's one God who shows himself in three different ways. So you have God the Father, and then when Jesus came to the earth, it still was God the Father, but he displayed himself as Jesus. And then throughout the New Testament, after Pentecost, is still that same person, the same God, that communicates himself and shows himself as the Holy Spirit. You want to know what a good illustration for that false doctrine is? And some people communicate the Trinity this way. They'll say that the Trinity could be thought of like water, ice, and steam, right? Three. So you could take the water, and if it's room temperature, it's water. If you make it really cold, it turns into ice. And if you heat it up, it turns into steam. And so some people will use that as an illustration of the Trinity. That's called modalism. It's one person that shows himself in different forms. That's actually wrong because there are three separate persons in the Trinity. One God, but three separate persons. And the language in John 1, 1 through 3, perfectly describes the nature of Jesus. So it says here, in the beginning was the Word, so he's eternal, and the Word was with God. What does that tell you? It clearly says there's more than one person, right? Because you can't be with yourself. So he was with God. But then it says, and the word was God. And so not only was Jesus with his heavenly father, not only was Jesus with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is God himself. And so the, the, the way that the Greek language is emphasizing this is that Jesus has the exact nature that God has. Qualitatively, there is no difference between Jesus. And that's the amazing thing that, that if you look at the Greek grammar in this, it communicates the exact same thing that the context communicates, right? I mean, it says that Jesus was with God and that he was God. So he is God and he was with God. So that shows that there's a plurality of persons, but one God. And so the grammar perfectly reflects that. And then just to drive that home, I had a conversation with some folks who came to my door and they were actually Jehovah Witnesses. So we were talking about this. And as we were talking about Jesus, I just said, yeah, Jesus is God. And they were saying, oh no, no, um, Jesus isn't creator God. He's just a God. And it was interesting. I mean, they must not have been really well-trained. They must have been kind of new Jehovah Witnesses to say that Jesus is not creator God because throughout the Bible, it talks about Jesus as the creator. Look at this. It says, he was in the beginning with God. 
in verse 3, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Do you see the power of that statement talking about Jesus being the creator? It's stated positively, he made everything. And it stated negatively, there's nothing that was made without him. I mean, how powerfully can you communicate that? Nothing. So Jesus was not the first creation. Jesus is the creator. There's even more, but I'll show you this in Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. I mean, just just look at the language here, how expansive this is. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is beyond all things, and in him all things hold together. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 1. Colossians just puts this all together. So this light of the world that God has sent for you and I is God himself. You know, it's amazing how different belief systems that claim the Bible as their authority will deny the deity of Jesus, both his deity and the Bible teaches his deity and his humanity. And so this is so clearly taught in Scripture, and it's so powerful that this light that God sent into the world is God himself. Now, when you think about the other thing that's communicated here, there are many people who feel like God has needs, that he loves us because he needs us. He couldn't handle creation without us. He really needed a relationship. One of the things that you think about when you think about God's love for us God doesn't love us because he needed us. God was not relationally deficient. He was not lonely before he created the world. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit love each other. They have perfect love. In fact, Jesus says, the way God loves me, I'm going to love you. God was not relationally deficient. He chose to love us not because he needed us, because he decided he would make a creation, that he would love that a creation, that, that his creation, these people that he made, would love him and honor him and glorify him. But it was not to meet a deficit in his life. And so, so God loves us. He is the creator. He owns everything. And then look at this in verse 4. We're going to see here that this light that has come into the world, who's Jesus, the spiritual light, is available to everybody. Look at this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the Apostle John. This is talking about John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light, look at this, to everyone was coming into the world. Now, when, the, when we talk about life, spiritual life, all life comes from God, from Jesus himself. We were created in God's image. People are unique from all of creation. 
Did you know that, that we have a world that is confused, that can't tell the difference between the value of a human life and the value of an animal life? Did you know that people, because they are made in God's image, are infinitely worth more than any animal? I mean, you guys remember that thing that happened a few years ago with the gorilla, where there was this rare gorilla that was on the endangered species list and a little, little kid crawled into the, uh, the cage and that gorilla like, like grabbed the kid and they ended up shooting the gorilla and people were outraged because an animal was killed to save the life of a person. That's actually a reflection of God's purpose and design. It's an easy choice. People are worth more than animals. If, if you had the choice between saving a single person or every endangered species on the entire planet, you would save a person's life because people are categorically different than animals. They, they went around on some college campuses and they were doing an interview and they were asking people, if you have the choice of saving your dog, your dog's life or your neighbor's life, whose life would you save? You know, there were a group of people who said, I'd save my dog. Jesus has given life to people in a unique way. Not only our physical life, but spiritual life. And so it says here that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, in some translations, that says, has not comprehended it. It's, it's the word to apprehend, and John always uses this in the sense of overcoming, of apprehending, of grabbing a hold of something. And so I think that this is the right translation here. The darkness has not overcome it. Now, when you think about this emphasis of who John is, God sent John to say who Jesus is, to witness. Look what it says. Verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The purpose of John coming is John was sent by God, a special witness sent by God to point people to Jesus so that people would believe. And when you think about this Christmas season, we're here, we're celebrating the coming of Jesus. And the purpose of the coming of Jesus, the purpose of the testimony about Jesus is so that people will believe. That is the purpose of this season, is that people would see who Jesus is, that they would believe in him. Verse 9, the true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. I want you to think about the power of a personal testimony. John talked about who Jesus was. He shared his testimony about who Jesus is with the purpose that people would believe. In this season and in your life, God has a purpose for your story. If you've come to know who Jesus is, if you recognize who he is, your purpose is to share that, to share that personal testimony, to share the gospel, to tell other people about Jesus so that they'll believe. I was thinking about the, uh, the apostle John. He wrote in 1 John, he talked about Jesus coming into the world. And look what he says here. That which was from the beginning which we have heard. Now, John uses a special Greek verb here. And what he's talking about when he says, we have heard, he's talking about, I've heard in the past, 
but I can still hear it in my ears. Every single one of these, he's saying, I heard it. This is an event that happened in the past that is still impacting me to this day. And so what he's saying here is that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and I still hear the sound of Jesus's voice in my ears, which we have seen. And I still, when I close my eyes, I can still see him and which we have looked upon and which we have touched and our hands with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest or shown. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. John writes his whole book and he just says, I'm not mistaken. This is not a figment of my imagination. I met Jesus. I touched Jesus. I was with Jesus. And this is what I'm telling you. And that's the most amazing thing about personal testimonies. It's not our experience that determines truth. God's word determines truth. But our personal experience is something that we can share and we can say, God changed me. This is something that I know for sure before I was this way and God has transformed my life. And we share that with people with the purpose that they will know Christ. In this season, it is so important that we are not distracted by things that are unimportant, but that we focus on sharing the gospel. Now, we know why people reject the light. It's actually not because they can't see. It's because people are morally corrupted. See, you and I were morally corrupted, and God changed our heart. We are shining the light. Jesus is the light in a world that is not morally neutral. It is morally corrupted. Look at this. John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People reject Jesus not because they can't see. People reject Jesus because they don't want to see. That's that's a, a true thing about humanity. And we looked at that last week. We're in Romans 1. God shows himself in creation. In Romans 2, people instinctively do good things, and it shows that God has written his law in their hearts. So Jesus spoke, but he prepared every heart to hear. And when a heart doesn't hear, it's not because of moral neutrality. It's because they suppress and they reject Jesus. That is a personal, moral choice and response. And every person needs to make a decision about Christ. So I was just thinking about this. This week I went to a conference with uh, Tom Canavino and it was called Finishing the Task. And there were this, this group of people that, that many years ago were sitting around a table and they, they happened to be at table 71. And that was just the number that happened to be on their table. And at this conference, it was like a Billy Graham thing, at this conference they had made a list of every known tribe that did not have a Bible, that did not have a single Christian, and that had no church. And so they made a list, and they just said, you know, everybody should hear the gospel. And they had this list of all these people that had never heard the gospel and had no way of hearing. A couple years ago, I went to India with um, some folks to, to train some pastors, and one of the guys that was speaking there said that nobody should hear twice until everybody's heard once. 
and he was committed to going and just reaching the lost, and that was one of the reasons I went, was they were saying, we want to we train pastors to go and reach people who have never heard. And so they, they had this list, they made this list, and, and at this conference they said, which group of people, which church, which organization, who will make a commitment to go down this list and to pick a people group that have no believers, that have no Bibles and no body of Christ, and who will make a commitment to reach that group of people? And so in this, uh, in this room, a bunch of the, the tribes were selected, and people said, all right, we're going to make a commitment to try to go reach them. And there were 400 left that were still on that list that had never heard. And there was this table of people. And uh, the, the, the man who led the Jesus Film Project, he was one of the guys at the table. But there was also the guy from YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And there were like some other people sitting around the table. And they all got together. They looked at each other and they said, hey, you know what? How about we make a commitment between us and our organizations to reach all the rest of the people on that list? All 400 of them. They made that commitment. You want to know what's kind of cool? Last year at this conference, they had checked off every single one of the names that were on that list. Isn't that amazing? Now, that does not mean that every people group is, is, has been reached. Do you know why? Because they would go out, like there was a list of 400, they'd go out into that group. And they, they, they were trying to minister and reach that group, and they found out there were like 15 other tribes around that nobody had put on a list. And so as they were out trying to accomplish that task, the list grew. And so there's still a lot more to be done. But what an amazing thing that a group of people said, we're going to put names on a list, and we're going to make a commitment to go reach those people to, to find their resources, to find a person who's willing to go, to make a Bible translation to actually go and to cross-culturally minister and share the gospel and then have a church and then try to help them reach. By the way, that's just a believer. Maybe there's a massive number of people, but just making sure there's at least one believer in that, in that group that can reach others. And you want to know one of the things I thought about? What a commitment. Hey, what if our church said, we're going to take one of the names on that list. We're going to find a family in our church maybe even a family with some kids, and we're going to send them off into the jungle. Who's willing to quit their job and go? And who in this church would be willing to financially support them so that they could do, go do ministry? Man, what a huge commitment. What a valuable thing. What a good thing for us to do. And then I thought, you know, there is another option. And how about if every single one of us thought about the house next door, and the house over here, and the house across the street, and the house right there, and the house over here. Or if you live in a condo where, where there's five or six doors, I thought about this when I was handing out, you know, going and putting the things on the condo doors. There's like these places where you would walk in, and there's like five or six doors that all face each other. What if we just made a commitment that I am going to pray for, I am going to reach out to, I'm going to try to share the gospel with the people who live right next to me. Hey, I think we should, we should go overseas. But think about how hard that is to make a Bible translation. You already have one. You could just hand it to your neighbors. You don't have to learn a language. You already know the language. And so what if over this Christmas season, and actually not just the Christmas season, but in our life, if we just decided God wants to reach people, and I'm going to be a part of 
his plan in reaching the lost, our family members, people that we care about. And we should do that. And you know what? A lot of people have heard more than once. It's kind of an interesting thing in this, in this country. You drive past tons of churches every time you go anywhere, but people still need to be reached. Did you know that in Orange County, um, 20% of the people in Orange County claim to be believers? So what that means is that there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus who need to be reached. And over this Christmas season, we should do that. Now let's look at the third point here. Everyone responds to the light in one of two ways. They receive or they reject. Let's look at this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus created the world. He's put a knowledge of himself in every heart. There is no excuse for anybody not to know Jesus. When Jesus comes and the world doesn't know him, it's because they are suppressing and rejecting him. It's not an inability to know, it's an unwillingness to know. And so we just realize that's the world, that's our mission field. And what's even beyond that, um, Romans talks about how great it is to be a Jew. Paul's talking about the gospel and how Jesus has come to save the world. Um, he's, he's reasoning with the Jews and he's saying, you know, you pride yourselves in being Jews. You think that you're children of Abraham. You think you're worth more than everybody else in the world. And that's not true. God loves everybody. He says, does that mean that there's no value in being a Jew? Of course not. It's an incredibly valuable thing that God said, I choose you not because you're better than anyone else, but just because I choose you. And I'm going to use you as an avenue to reach the world. The Messiah is going to come to the Jewish nation. He's going to be a Jewish person. He's going to die for not just Jews, but for everyone. You have the word of God that was delivered through Moses to talk about who this Messiah would be and that he's coming. You have all these advantages. God's intention was for you to be a nation of missionaries. You have a huge advantage. And these people, they grew up and they read scripture. And when Jesus showed up, they rejected him. They had every advantage and they still rejected him. But the amazing thing is that it says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, 1 Corinthians, something for us to keep in mind as well. Um, look what it says here. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Nobody comes to God because they're talked into it. Nobody comes to God because they're smart enough to do it. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But the, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See what that's saying? 
Sometimes in the world, we can feel like we got to take the gospel message, we got to change it, we got to try to put it in a shape or in a form that people would be willing to accept. I've heard a lot of people say, hey, don't, don't, don't try to defend the Bible. There's a lot of things in the Bible people don't like. Well, you want to know something? It's not our job to take the message and to change it and to try to make it acceptable. It's not going to be acceptable to Jews. It's not going to be acceptable to G Greeks. That's a category of Jews and everybody who's not a Jew. You want to know what makes the difference? Have you ever thought about that? What is the difference between a person who doesn't know God and a person who does know God? You had a family of people and you preach the gospel and this person gets saved and that person doesn't get saved. What makes the difference? You want to know what makes the difference? It's the work of God in a person's heart. And when God works in a person's heart, when God turns on the lights, do you remember in Acts chapter um, 16, verse 14, it says that Lydia was listening to the preaching and God opened her heart to believe. See, when we think about our neighbors that reject Jesus, we don't need to change the message. We just need to deliver it as it is. But what we need to do is pray that God would change their heart. As we pray for our kids, that's why we pray for people. That's why we pray for each other. Because God reaches into a life and he changes it. And so as we think about our purpose to evangelize, to reach the lost world, prayer is a huge part. And what people need is a changed heart. I want to tell you one of the things that I am so thankful for. And I was thinking about this um, during the women's lunch. I know it was a women's lunch. <laughs> but I snuck into the sound booth. I kind of hid behind a monitor a little bit, and I, I listened to the whole thing. It was so good. And one of the things that I loved is as the gospel was being shared, it was thoughtful, it was considerate, it was not obnoxious. It, it was gracious. It was considerate. But it was direct. It was true. It was presented in a way that... that people would make a mental connection to what was being said. Uh, to me, that was just a perfect example of we don't change the message, we're thoughtful, we're considerate, but we just deliver the truth as it is. And if people reject it, they reject it. If they receive it, then they receive it. But that is a work of God in people's hearts. It's our job to faithfully reflect Christ. Um, this verse goes on, and I think that this is a really powerful thing for us to consider. We'll end with this. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now, that's an important thing for us to think through in the whole issue of salvation, especially when you think about your family members. If you're a parent that you think about this in the terms of your kids, in sharing the gospel with your kids. They were born not of blood. See, the Jews thought that they were saved just because they were Jewish, because of their national heritage. And Jesus says, hey, uh, don't pride yourself that you're a son of Abraham. God could raise up sons of Abraham from the rocks. Now, I remember um, somebody Michelle used to work with. Um, back before we had kids and she had a job, we would, we would just make friends with everybody he, she worked with. We would share the gospel with people. And she had this manager in the place that she worked with. And so we became friends. And, and I was just asking him, I said, so you ask him about himself. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm Armenian. And, and not Armenian, Armenian. So I'm, I said, I'm Armenian. Maybe he was Armenian too. I don't know. But, but he was Armenian. 
And later I just asked him, I said, so, um, you know, what's the religion of, Ar of Armenians? You know, what, what's your religion? What, what kind of religious beliefs do you have? And he said, I told you I'm Armenian. I said, no, no, I know. I know what your nationality is. I just want to know, like, what are your religious beliefs? He says, I told you I'm Armenian. Armenians are Christians. I said, wait, you're Armenian? Yeah, Armenians are Christians. Don't you know that Armenians are Christians? And he, it's not that he had ever had a personal interaction. It's not that he had ever made a personal decision about Christ, but he was genetically Armenian, and Armenians are Christians. I can't tell you how many Armenians I've met that say, I'm, I'm Armenian, I'm a Christian. So they believe that they are, as a whole, they believe that they are born into Christianity. It's important for you to know that nobody is born into Christianity. Nobody is a Christian because that's how they're born. I've asked over the years, I've asked people, hey, tell me your testimony. When did you come to know the Lord? How did you come to know the Lord? And they'll say, oh no, I was born a Christian. I've always been a Christian. Did you know that nobody has always been a Christian? People are not Christians. They're in rebellion against God. And at a certain point, they come to see who Jesus is. They repent and they make a decision to be right with Jesus. Nobody is born a Christian. And what's you want to know what's really cool? We shared the gospel with this manager. We hung out. We were friends. To this day, he is a believer. He came to know the Lord and leads men's Bible studies. Um, the Lord's just been amazing in his life. But people make a decision about Jesus. Nobody is a Christian because of blood. There's something else here it says, nor the will of the flesh. Nobody's a Christian because it's just something that they desire to do. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, There's none righteous, not even one. There is none who seeks for God. Nobody seeks God on their own. Nobody. So it's not a personal desire, nor the will of man. That's like this external pressure. Did you know that as a parent, you can really want your kids to know the Lord? Like when, when I became a parent, I just felt like, okay, I got one thing to do in life. Was a one th what's my one job? To see to it that my kids come to know the Lord. That's it. Nothing else matters. But the reality is you cannot force or pressure or make anybody else be a believer. Becoming a Christian is a personal choice that each person makes. So we can pray for it. We can work toward it. Um, I've met parents that they're trying to do a good job as a parent. And this one dad brought his kids to church, and he's like, okay, we're doing a baptism at church. Um, I want to sign my kids up for baptism. Why? Wants to make sure they're okay. Wants to make sure they're going to heaven. I've asked people, hey, are you a believer? Do you know the Lord? And they'll say, oh, I got baptized. Do you know getting baptized, being dipped in water, all it does is get you wet? It doesn't take away your sin. doesn't make you a Christian. Now, if you really are a Christian, you should get baptized. But if you baptize somebody who doesn't know the Lord, it is absolutely useless. You cannot make another person be a believer. You can't do anything that is helpful for another person spiritually, which, by the way, is why we don't sprinkle babies. There's people who think, oh, man, I, I took my baby, I sprinkled my baby, I baptized them when they were an infant. Did you know that spiritually what, what you do for another person has zero value? Now, as a parent, if you love your kids, if you are praying for them, if you're encouraging them, that's a value. 
but anything you do to another person is worthless. It's only what a person in themselves does. So if you were baptized before you were a believer, <laughs> you should get baptized again. Now, I don't know you guys well enough to know. I have no idea who I just offended or upset. <laughs> so, so if you're here and your feelings are hurt, it's not personal. I don't know who you are yet. <laughs> Please come tell me. We could talk more about it. But people are born of God, spiritually born. God works in the heart. He opens the heart. So as we think about spiritual light coming into the world, I just want to encourage us. Let's not forget what Christmas is about. Let's celebrate this Jesus who came. Let's take every opportunity to help people come to know the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the one who saves people. God, you have given us an incredible opportunity to do ministry, to share the gospel. God, we don't have to translate Bibles. We don't have to learn a language. We just need to pray for people and then accurately represent you. Lord, in this season, help us to put your character on, the, on display, that when people meet us, that they would sense the love that you have for them because we love them. Lord, that people would, would sense your concern for them because we have concern for them. Lord, that people would see your love because we're meeting needs, we're, we're doing things, we're being generous, we're being gracious, we're being kind. And Lord, people need spiritual light, and we know that that comes through words. Lord, help us to present your truth, to speak things to people, to tell them the truth about who you are, to invite people to receive you. And God, we pray that we would see people not reject you, but accept you. Lord, help us to be a part of that in your name. Amen.